Uh, we're continuing this morning our sermon series in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, which is a book about how to live out our faith practically day to day. Uh, part of that is how to live out our faith together uh, in Christ and to operate as a community, a gathering, what is often called uh, a church. And today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, your supernatural gifts for ministry. You guys know about those? Know about your supernatural gifts, your spiritual gifts are sometimes called? You got those? Check your pockets. Uh, years ago, uh, I, was, uh, I was traveling uh, with a, a friend and, and a mentor of mine, uh, the pastor of the church uh, that I was attending uh, through some of the years that I lived in Chicago when I was in graduate school. <clears throat> and I'd gone with him on a trip to uh, England uh, we just sort of touring uh, the United Kingdom, actually. And uh, he was a, a, a you know, pretty well-known minister, a supernatural minister. He was you know, really good in, in the power ministries of the Spirit. And uh, he was teaching on those things wherever he went. And I basically traveled on this trip to carry his luggage. I mean, I was, I was just there to kind of be generally helpful, you know, to kind of see what it was all about, uh, what he did. And usually at the end of his ministry times, uh, at the conferences, the seminars, the churches where he was ministering, he would do what we typically do at Blue Water. He would just sort of invite people to come forward and to receive a blessing from the Holy Spirit. And maybe there'd be a healing or, you know, some sort of, you know, deliverance, some other miracle that, that would happen. So it was really great. And being just sort of, you know, his assistant in this, I would jump into the fray and I would start praying for people and, and try to move as I, th I felt the Holy Spirit was directing me. Uh, he got it into his head that I was pretty good at hearing from the Lord, uh, that I was uh, gifted uh, prophetically, that I was just sort of supernaturally sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was doing at any given moment. Uh, he thought, well, I, I, think, I think Jordan could be pretty good at that sort of ministry. Um, but he neglected to tell me. And then uh, we went to this uh, huge conference one day. Uh, I remember it was like this national conference of Anglican priests. So there were like five or 600 uh, priests from the Anglican church, typically a very conservative church in Britain. Uh, and they'd gathered in this, uh, this big uh, church auditorium. And Steve was speaking. And we had done all sorts of these conferences. He leaned over to me. Uh, we sort of whisked in, we sat in the front row, he leaned over to me and said, Jordan, you know what this conference is on? And I said, no, I, I don't know, Steve, I can't keep track of your calendar. He said, well, this is about raising up prophecy, the gift of prophecy in churches. And I'm, I want to talk the, to the Anglicans about that. And I said, that's great, Steve, because you're just the guy to do this. You're going to be wonderful. God bless you. You go. And he said to me, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to talk for five or ten minutes and then I'm going to call you up, give you the mic, and you are going to prophesy over this National Assembly of Anglican Priests for the remainder of the hour. And uh, he didn't give me time to answer. He just cackled at me, and then he got up. He walked on stage, and by golly, he did it. Uh, he spoke for, for five minutes, and then he, then he slipped into my intro, and he said, I have here with me this morning one of the trusted voices in our church movement, a tried and true prophet in the house of God. You know, he just, he just went off. One, a young man that I go to when I want to discern the will of the Lord in my life, 
really gifted in the word of prophecy. He's going to be calling some of you out to prophesy today. You can trust what he says. Come on up here. Totally lied, right? Because none of that was actually true. He had no experience with me whatsoever in this ministry. Gave me the mic, and I just, I just went off. Um, during the five minutes he was talking, of course, I prayed fervently, Oh God, oh God, please, please give me something to say. So in the spirit of that this morning, you prophetically gifted people and you know who you are. I will be calling you up at the end of the sermon and you will prophesy over the crowd. I'm giving you about 30 minutes of warning, which is more than you deserve. So just be ready. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, so I got up and I, and, and, you know, I was an amateur. Some of my words hit. I, I felt like, you know, they, they're sort of accurate and encouraging. Some of them were too general to really do much of anything, but some of them, some of them were right on. Uh, couple funny stories from that day. Uh, the Lord spoke to me really strongly, the strongest word I had, and said, uh, there is someone here named Alice. Alice. And that person is not in this room. But here's a vision for Alice. And I saw this picture of this elderly woman dressed a certain way. She was sort of crowned with florals, uh, which is uh, a symbol that I have since come to understand means uh, celibacy for the sake of ministry. And God was telling me about her life. Uh, and uh, But she she was not in this room, the Lord told me, but there was this overflow room. So I thought, ah, she's in the overflow room. So what I'm going to do is at the end of my prophetic time, I'm going to say, Alice, come out of the overflow room. I have a word for you. So, uh, so I, I got done with my ministry. I feel like I've escaped okay in this hour. And I say, I have a word for Alice. I have a word today for Alice, a specific word. Alice, you're not in this room, so come on in here. Come out, come out of here. Alice, just come on. There's a cricket in the back corner. Alice. No, Alice. This guy stood up in the front row. Uh, his name was Aris. He was hard of hearing. He thought, you know, this Middle Eastern guy. I tried to prophesy to him. It was ugly. It did not work very well. Later that night, uh, Steve and I traveled to this other real old time, you know, 300-year-old church, church in, in London. I walked in. I, I sat down, and these leaders were coming to chat with Steve. And the first person who walked in the room was exactly the woman, just like to the T, exactly her. She walked up to me and said, oh, hi, my name is Alice. And I said, I know, <laughs> and I don't like you. You are not what you were supposed to be. Um, she was not in this room. So uh, the other funny thing that happened is that there was a young man uh, who, before the meeting, uh, was strumming his guitar and just sort of singing gently over in one corner. And, and I just riveted on him. I said, like, man, what a gift. What a gift. And then I got this prophetic word about his musical future. And so eventually I would prophesy to him. And I said, dude, uh, you are going to write music. You're going to perform music. You're going to minister worship to the church. And I just want you to know that your music is not just for this church. It's not just for locally. Your music will travel around the world. I felt that was a, a big gift. And it was, I think it was 19 or, 19 or 20 at the time. That was Matt Redman. The thing I didn't know is that he already had a worship album that was well-known in Britain. So I was the only one in the entire auditorium, the only one who did not know that he was already a famous worship leader. So sometimes giftedness comes out in fits and starts, uh, is, what, is what I'm telling you. But you don't know if you don't try. And that's part of the theme of this morning. Uh, a big part of the book of 1 Corinthians uh, so far, we are in chapter 12 today, 
a big part, has been about the church, about the gathering of the believers, the assembly, uh, the ecclesia is what the Greek word often translated church means. Uh, it's about our togetherness, about how we work together and what's that like. We have a purpose in coming together. Uh, Paul has made clear to the Corinthians. He says that when you come together, there are some things that you want to keep out of that gathering. And he has spent a number of chapters talking about sin and morality and says, look, you know, don't fool around. Don't bring that stuff in here. If you, if you do that, you compromise the purpose and the power that is the gathering. So keep that out. Uh, keep out you know, he's talked about sexual immorality a lot. He's talked about elitism and classism. Keep that out of the church. Uh, now, uh, in this chapter, he's, he's making a shift in the letter, and he turns to what we want to bring into church, what we definitely want to bring in uh, to church and how that works really well. He's talking, he's developing what we might think of a model for the gathering. Um, and it turns out that the model for church is really not about uh, structures so much. It's not about governance. It's not about style. It's about who shows up. The model for any given gathering is really quite dependent upon who walks through the door. It's dependent upon the people, you. Church is uh, sometimes, I think, the most grassroots movement in history. You know, it's grassrootsy. It always bubbles up from below or it comes in from uh, the periphery. History shows this. Every so often in the last 2,000 years of church history, the church gets restored and revitalized, revived by some movement from the fringes. We often call them revivals, uh, a revival that the established church uh, often does not see coming and handles very poorly. Uh, but God moves in people, God moves in individuals, they come together and the church is shaped and changed. And that's been one recurrent theme you see in every century of church history. Church is an organic thing. It's a people movement. It's based on the individuals who come. Paul um, <clears throat> already hints at this when he's talking about church to the Corinthians. He says that the gathering uh, is a construction of living stones. He calls the people living stones. The church is not made of bricks. It's not made of wood. It's made of, you know, people. It's made of us. And he's kind of going back to that theme with a little more specificity, uh, beginning in chapter 12. If you, the living stones, come into church darkened with sin of some sort, then the temple dims. It becomes dark because you're the bricks. You're the stones. If, however, you, the living stones, come with purity, with clarity, and you bring your spiritual gifts, the things that God has put in you for the sake of doing ministry, then that temple shines brilliantly. It shines like nothing else the world has ever seen. This is Paul's model uh, for how churches come together and how churches work. And I think it's enormously interesting. Uh, the next few chapters are really fascinating to me. Uh, so uh, let's pick it up uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to uh, take some excerpts from the whole chapter. They're on the back of your program. 
They will also be up here on the big board, or you can follow along in your Bibles. The chapter begins uh, like this. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. The NIV, NIV used to translate that. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be stupid about spiritual gifts. These are things that you need to know. Uh, that phrase, spiritual gifts, or how the new NIV translated, gifts of the Spirit, uh, is uh, from the Greek word charismata, literally supernaturalisms. I think would be a literal translation. Supernaturalisms, little supernatural deposits in you. And about that stuff, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are some things that you need to understand. Skipping down a few verses. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, or some of your translations will say discerning spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So who gets these supernatural gifts? Each one, each and every one uh, of us. And how are they distributed? Well, it's up to God. He doles out the spiritual gifts, the tools, just as he determines, or some of your translations will say, just as he sees fit. Uh, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. The gifts he's saying are like different, different parts. You know, fingers, hands, toes, eyes, ears. And he develops that a little bit further down. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its, par uh, its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We'll unpack that a little bit later. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, listing all the different roles and all the different giftings that go into them. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Different gifts uh, for different people. So it begins uh, with Paul saying, you know, you can't be ignorant. You have to know how this works. You have to know how this works. Um, uh, I like 
I like the presumptive way that the chapter starts. Now, about these supernatural things, I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed. He kind of assumes that they already have some knowledge of the supernatural world. And indeed, they probably would in the city of Corinth, all these different occultic practices and things. And they had come to Christ in a very supernatural way through the ministry of Paul. They doubtlessly had seen countless miracles of healings and other impressive things. Uh, so they have some experience. They've got some experience. But Paul says to them, I want you to understand how it really works. You know, don't just, don't just know that these things are out there, that they exist. I want you to understand how they really works. And how do they really work? Well, you work them, is his general point, right? That's the biggest point of the chapter, and that's the one that everybody needs to understand first. It's not just that the kingdom of God is a supernatural place. It's not just that God does miracles. It's not just that healings happen or, you know, teachers are raised up. Uh, Paul is saying, no, the way it works is that it works through you, just so you know, living stones and all that stuff. So each one of you has a gift, Paul says. You with me so far? You know, amen? So we say this sometimes, who are the ministers of the church? Who are the ministers of the church? That's right. It works through, through you. We are a kingdom of priests, as it says uh, frequently in the Bible, Old Testament and New. Everyone gets a supernaturalism, and he makes clear that people get different ones, distributed as God sees fit. Some get this, some get healing, some get teaching, some get spiritual discernment, some, you know, get helps or guidance or, or whatever. Different people have different things, but everybody has something, and God decides how it gets spread around. Uh, he gives a list of stuff here, a couple different lists actually. He breaks them apart. You know, he's listing words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretations of tongues and, and, and gifts of healing and guidance and all this different stuff. I get the impression this is not an exhaustive list. Do you agree with me? Uh, one of the ways we know that is that he does not bother to define these terms specifically. He's just throwing out descriptive phrases. Hey, you know when that person gets the message of wisdom? You know that spiritual gift? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's, it's when every, every time you need to know how to work something out, you go to so-and-so, and, and she tells you. Yeah, it's like a gift. It just flows out of her. Yeah, okay, message of wisdom. I know what that is. Uh, do you know that, that gift of healing? Oh, yeah, that's when so-and-so lays hands on people and they get well. That guy was really gifted in healing. I think it's sort of like that. It's meant to be suggestive. And he gives other lists, like in Romans chapter 12. Uh, there's a, another famous essay on spiritual gifts. I'll just read a fraction of that. <clears throat> just as each of us has one body with many parts, sounds similar, <clears throat> and, these, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's giving to others, let him give to others generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is compassion, let him do it cheerfully. You know, Paul's point is that everybody has useful gifts, not an exhaustive list. It's just a matter of recognizing what God has give, given you, and what God has given you might be different than what God has given me. I think that's the general setup. You with me so far? Tell me you're tracking. Wave your bulletin at your face if you're hot. 
All right, so this means a few different things. If everybody has different gifts, then I conclude we only have a complete toolkit when we work together. Following? Uh, and to drive this point home, he uses the analogy of the human body. You know, a body has many different parts. You've got fingers, you've got hands, you've got eyes, you've got feet, you've got the head. And how ridiculous would it be, he says, if uh, we thought one body part could go through the world on its own? I mean, if you just had an eye hopping around, I don't know, what would, it, what would an eye do? Kick down this roll, roll, roll around. I don't know how I miss. You can't, an eye cannot say to the hand or the foot, I don't need you. But, you know, the hand and the foot needs an eye to navigate properly. And so he's just sort of driving this idea home in, in an analogy that's just a little bit funny and absurd. You're supposed to laugh at this. Sometimes the Bible is a little bit witty. Like, imagine an eye bobbing down the street. <laughs> oh, Paul, you're such a card, please. So I read it. Um, and he goes on to say, you know, you are tempted to see body parts differently as somehow less than integrated. You know, maybe the forearm doesn't seem as romantic as the hand, but where would the hand be without the forearm, right? And just kind of be, there'd just be empty space right here. It's a joke. Come on. Hang with me, people. And he, and he notices that we look at different body parts differently. There are some that are weaker. The word actually means more delicate. Uh, you know, some, some body parts are more delicate, and so you treat them differently. But they're not less important just because they're more delicate. So what's a delicate part of the body? The eye, probably, right? I mean, you get a little tiny piece of sand in the eye when you're at the beach, and what happens? It just, like, you know, ruins your afternoon. You're pouring water. You're laid down. Your friends are praying for you. It's like... Just because a little tiny piece of sand got, got in your eye. It's delicate, but a hugely important uh, part of the body. Some parts of the body, he says, are uh, less honorable. Uh, not entirely sure uh, what, what he means by that, but maybe there are some parts of your body that you consider less honorable than other parts. You know, parts that you are tempted to uh, treat with a certain amount of disdain, maybe. Something like that. But he says, when, when that happens uh, to your body, you give the, the part that lacks honor, the part that to you seems a little less honorable than other parts. And what, what ends up happening is that you give it more honor, right? So when you buy clothes, you stand in front of the mirror, and, and what do you do? You, look, you evaluate the clothes in terms of how well they cover your less than honorable part, right? Does this make me look fat? I say that to my wife all the time. Honey, this made me look fat. She says, no, try again. And then there are some parts that seem a little less presentable than other parts. Um, and and you, you, know, you, you cover them, you think about them. I, I won't define what he's talking about, but there may be some body parts that you think should not be presented in public, I'm just saying. And Paul says, yeah, they, they require special attention uh, in, a, in a way uh, as well. But every part needs to work together and, uh, and to be integrated. Every part needs to function 
if you're going to pull off the body. And of course, he's making an analogy here to the way the body of Christ works, the living temple. Every gift has to be used. If we are not integrating every sort of gift that God has given you, if we're leaving somebody out, why, that's like trying to walk down the street without feet. That would be absurd. Why would we do that? All the more so because it's God that has given you that gift. And who are we to neglect, to avoid, to, uh, to not honor the plan of God in the body? Everything has to be used. As he'll eventually say in chapter 14, all must be done for the common good. If you want it, if you want to pull this off, if you want our gathering, our togetherness to work, then you have to integrate every gift in every person that walks through the door. And that's why I say uh, the way church work works um, depends on who shows up. You walked in here today with a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is. We'll talk in a few minutes about how you might discover what your spiritual gifts are. But you walked in here today with something, and my job is to figure out what that is and how to integrate it into our body. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're missing a finger or something. And uh, that will compromise our function in some fashion. You following me? This is Paul's picture of church. You all bring something, we figure out how to integrate it and how to make it all work together. Why doesn't each person get the full toolkit? Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all speak in tongues? Do all work big miracles? No, evidently not. But why not? If I were designing the universe, what I would do is I would give every human the full toolkit. Wouldn't that not be more efficient? Right? I mean, clearly. And then, you know, no matter where you are, you're totally functional. Why doesn't God do it that way? If only he had consulted me or any other introvert. Why doesn't he give all of the full toolkit to, to one person? Yeah, so we have to depend on each other so that we need each other so that everybody who follows Jesus has to work together and swallow hard, get along. We have to be unified. And you know what that means, right? If we have to work together, if we have to get along, then we have to grow in those special virtues that empower us to get along. You know, like love and patience and forgiveness and grace and all that stuff. I hate those. Who's with me? Two honest people. There's a genius strategy to it, right? Uh, God's nature is, is not just power, it's love. It's power and love together. His power always follows love in the world. It's not that he's, you know, big and powerful. It's that he's good, you know. The point of life is not just to trust that there is a God who exists. The point of life is to trust in his goodness and his good heart towards you. 
Uh, the kingdom of God is first about love, grace, generosity, forgiveness, all of those things. And then secondarily, about supernatural power and stuff like that. So God has arranged things so that if the church is going to be powerful, it needs to be really loving and generous. That's just the way it is, people. We got to grow up. Uh, we got to get along. We got to love each other. So just lean over to the person next to you. Give him a big hug. Say, I love you. Come on, guys. If you don't know the person next to you, just give him a stoic look and say, we'll attend another church next week. It's fine. No problem. Um, we don't always get to choose what gift we have, nor do we always get to choose what gift shows up at our gathering. Uh, and that means a few things. The inconvenient guy is probably the guy who has the gift you need. You know, right? It's like, ah, I really need, I really need the gift of healing. So you have to approach that person that you find a rather inconvenient person and, you know, we're together. That's just the way it works. And you have to honor the gifts that you'd rather not honor. You know, he talks about make sure that you honor all the gifts, the delicate gifts, the ones that lack honor, maybe they don't look right, or the ones that look shameful to you or not all that presentable. Um, uh, what, what makes a gift inconvenient, weak, unpresentable, do you suppose? Think about different gifts that a person might have ministry. What are, what are some of them that you might choose not to honor uh, if, if you were in charge? Don't shout them out, but you can just think about it. Uh, what I observe in the church is that in almost every gathering, there are some gifts like that, right? Uh, in, in, uh, in a church of 400 people, we should have a tremendous variety of giftedness represented, right? Uh, but, you know, go, go to your average church. And how many, how many of even the gifts that Paul lists do you see active in any given week? let alone any given Sunday worship service, you know? You have to, you have to really concentrate to honor uh, them all. Uh, it turns out, uh, Steve was right, uh, I, did, I did have the gift of prophecy. That started for, for me years of public ministry where I would prophesy over people. It's a very supernatural gift. It's, it's not one that I had a lot of experience with before I went to that church. You know, I was a believer beginning, you know, age three years old. I didn't grow up in in church a lot, but I was around Christians a lot. I'd never seen it practiced until I became a, an adult. In most churches, you just don't see that practiced, even though it's listed in about every famous list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Why? Well, because people find it inconvenient. They don't really know how to manage it, and so what's the easiest thing to do? Avoid it. Tongues is another one. Tongues is a spiritual gift where uh, the Holy Spirit fills you and you speak in some language you don't even understand. Um, I have seen this used in very powerful and entertaining ways. I've been in foreign countries traveling with a team, and the Holy Spirit falls on the team and empowers them to speak fluently in the native language of that place. They don't even know what they're saying, but they're speaking in the native tongue. That's cool. We call that a sign. That's awesome. That makes a good afternoon for me when that, ha when that happens. But, you know, it's a little awkward to just burst out in a language that that you don't understand. And if you do it publicly in church, you're supposed to be able to interpret it. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks when we get to chapter 14. 
there's a huge track of the church that just decided that gift doesn't operate today. You know, so you ignore it. It's inconvenient. And there will be gifts like that, that, that even we, the wide open, very cool body of believers that is Blue Water Mission, might find a little bit awkward, right? Takes a little getting used to. It's like, oh, I hate it when that happens in church. Really? Because God gave it to us in the form of that person. And we have to figure out how to incorporate it because he came up with that distribution, not us. And to do anything less would, one, decapitate part of our body, and two, dishonor the plan of God. You have to really be committed to it. That's what Paul is saying. You don't want to be ignorant about supernaturalisms, or here's something you have to understand, Paul is saying. Make sure to honor everything that God has distributed to people. Because it's all useful, and you have to figure out how to do it. Um, other other things that's just like, not awkward in presentation. I think like the gift of compassion is one that's often avoided. If you have the gift of compassion, if you're big hearted, that will give you a very inconvenient life. And both you and the people around you might be tempted to dishonor that gift. Or who knows what might happen, right? Where would that lead you? Have to share everything you have generously live among the most needy of the needy or something like that. And it makes sense that bodies of believers would construct themselves in such a way that compassion is really just kind of shunted to the side. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. I gave you that gift. Recognize it and honor it and figure it out. Figure out how to honor it together. To honor every gift, I think, means to give it place. To give it some place in your gathering, to cooperate together to make sure that it's active and functional. It's there, it gets recognized, and we give it a place to work, and we, we make it fit in to what we're doing. We do whatever we have to make sure that it's active. All must be done for the common good, Paul says. If you uh, leave something undone, then bad things will happen. Somebody out there in the world will be unreached and we should have been able to uh, reach them. Somebody out there will not get the care that they, they need. Some aspect of God will not be known in the world, and it will translate into a compromise of the kingdom on earth. Here's one thing that I think happens. Uh, if churches neglect certain gifts that they find inconvenient, over time, the world will look at the church and they will find it insipid, tasteless, powerless, it will start to look to them like some sort of club that's just, it's just got this narrow culture and everybody in it is alike. And could that happen? Oh, yeah. We see it, don't we? I think that if we were different, if we honored what God brought in the individuals that come to us, the world would never see the church like that. The world could look at the church and think, that place is weird but the world would never look at the church and say that place is irrelevant. Weird I like, right? Even if it means being a little bit awkward. But irrelevant, no, I would die before I would accept irrelevant. Okay. That means I have to embrace whatever gifts that you all brought in this morning. If we shut some gift out, if we shut out some person with a gift that we don't like, then our testimony of, of unity and grace will also be compromised, right? 
if somebody doesn't fit here, well, that, that means we are not reflecting Jesus to the world. If we find you too inconvenient to handle, uh, to work in to the fabric, uh, then we're not showing love, we're not showing unity, we're not showing patience, we're not showing grace. And of course, that has bad results as well. Uh, he ends with this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. I think the point here in that closing refrain of the chapter is that we should have equal honor for all, right? Everybody's different. God has decided what gift you have and therefore what role you will play. Um, all must be done. All should be honored equally. Here's the problem. If you honor some gifts more than others, then it makes everybody want to be like the person who has those gifts, right? So standard church. What's, what's uh, you know, churchy culture like? I'm not saying kingdom culture. I'm saying like, you know, over time, Christians tend to get traditional and set in their ways. And when that happens, church becomes very churchy. Uh, what does a churchy church look like by and large? And the answer is it looks like different things at different times in different places. Uh, but in, in our country, in our culture, churches tend to be dominated uh, by guys serving my role who uh, give sermons. It's all about the sermon, right? And people who give the most magnetic sermons become very famous. They become celebrated. They become very successful. I know all of you today have come to listen to my engaging and very witty sermon. Or, or, or not, evidently. Um, and that means when you want to be spiritually mature, when you want to be a good Christian, then you want to be like uh, the guy or the gal who's able to give that witty teaching, right? And, then, and, and gradually we go from many styles, many gifts, many people to just kind of one cookie cutter ministry experience. It all becomes about, you know, the exciting exegetical sermon that leaves you feeling good or something. And, you know, some people might like that, but ultimately we do not reach the world. You know, it's easy to, to find that insipid, tasteless. People end up walking away uh, just because you've honored one thing above all others. You've held up one thing as a ministry model instead of responding to what the Lord brings as your ministry model. All need to be honored uh, equally. Uh, Leadership, even, even the guy or the gal in front in charge, that's just a role. It's not a rank. It's just a role. You know, I'm up here presumably because I have the gifts that allow me to do this really well. Don't say it, but presumably that's why I'm up here. But it's just a role, right? Certainly it's not because uh, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual giant. Don't say that either, but you know it's true. All right, so how do we apply this? What do we do uh, with all of this musing, this, this interesting portrait of what church is supposed to be like and how it's supposed to be driven by the gifts that people bring in? What do we do with all of that? Um, well, let me say first that this essay on spiritual gifts is not done. It stretches for a couple more chapters. And so some of these conclusions are tentative. But these are a few things that I think we can say so far. Uh, point number one. 
You have a gift. Or I'll say it a little bit differently. You have a gift. And that means you also have a job. Uh, you have a particular sort of supernatural ministry tool, or maybe tools, that have been given you by God himself. Um, even if you don't know what it is yet, what they are yet, uh, you nonetheless have it. This isn't the only passage in Scripture that makes it clear. Uh, and if God gave it to you, you should probably figure out some way to use it. Right? Uh, but you are a gifted person. Everybody, pat the back of the person next to you. Well done, oh gifted one. There is no one here who is not a minister. There is no one here who is not designed to do ministry work in the kingdom of God. If you're here today uh, and you're a seeker, you don't even know if you believe in God yet, I can still say to you with great confidence, you are designed nonetheless to be a minister in this world, to be a minister of God's love, truth, and power. Um, and, you know, eventually we need to act like it. We need to uh, you know, discover uh, what our gifts are and then to explore how we should use them. You are a vital part of the body. That word vital literally means, you know, life-giving, alive. Uh, just like, you know, a body part would be filled with life. If you are lacking, then our health is compromised. We are not as complete uh, as we would be. We are, as I said, as Peter says in chapter 2 of his first epistle, we are a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of ministers. All of you uh, should be uh, on the ministry team in one way, shape, or form. Amen? Amen. If you've been around Blue Water for a while, uh, you've already heard that sermon six or eight times in different ways. Um, but you all have stuff to do. Uh, point number two, uh, you know, we're incomplete without you, uh, but it's worth mentioning that you are incomplete without us. If you are going to find out who you are and how you're designed, the only way you are going to do it is by being part of an assembly, part of a gathering. Because the cold truth is you do not have a full toolkit. You do not have every gift in the world. But every gift is needed if we're going to reach the world. And the only way for you to have a lot of tools in your toolkit is to bind together with a lot of people. You are stuck with us. It's not as bad as it looks, people. Um, and if not, of course, if not our body, if not Blue Water Mission, then you need, you need a, a, a body of believers somewhere. Uh, as uh, the author of Hebrews would say, do not forsake the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. You're not... You can believe in God by yourself, but you cannot minister God by yourself. And you will be an incomplete person. And I would go so far as to say you will feel like an incomplete individual unless you get together with a body of believers. Uh, you need, really need to commit to that in some way. Um, and that's... <clears throat> that explains why we do this uh, in a word. Uh, number three... Uh, a healthy church makes a place for the variety of gifts. Uh, and I think this should revolutionize the way that all believers think about church. And it should make for very interesting gatherings. We'll talk about this uh, in, in a couple of weeks uh, especially. 
Um, this is why blue water looks the way that it does. There are all these different things going on, things that, that maybe you don't see in every church, and the reason you don't see them in every church is because, you know, the people that God has gathered here all bring their own unique things. So, you know, we're doing, we're doing video. We have a broadcast ministry, a video ministry. We send out sermon previews. That has become part of our, our word ministry, video stuff. Uh, over there, usually there are some artists painting prophetically. Uh, Katie is sick this morning, and uh, May May is coming second service. But there will be some artists there just sort of painting. Why? Because they're gifted at it. That's why uh, we had musicians uh, practicing their gifts uh, to help us enter into the courts of praise earlier. That's something that's widely recognized in the church. And what style of music do we do? Believe it or not, that, that hinges a little bit on who shows up and what gifts they have, right? We had, you know, Lisa just dancing during worship. Why does Lisa dance during worship? Well, she's good at it, right? It's a gift. I mean, obviously, meet, meet the girl. It just flows, right? It's like supernatural in her. So we would just be uninformed uh, would, if we, uh, you know, resisted that, held it back. And there will be prophets ministering here in a minute. Remember, guys? Uh, and, you know, prayer ministers doing healings and stuff like that. There are compassion ministers in the community houses serving it. I mean, you know it. The reason there's such a variety, the reason we do so many things instead of focusing on doing one or two things well, which incidentally is what all the church growth leadership tells me we should do, um, is because we're just trying to honor uh, what the Lord brings, um, and I think that's healthy. I think ultimately... That makes us more powerful. Ultimately, that gives us a unique kingdom witness. And so Blue Water's pledge to you is we will help you find your gifts. Usually this is not hard, actually. Um, it happens best in small groups. So more about that in a second. And then we will encourage you to use your gifts. And that part might be hard. It might seem a little risky or it might take some hard work. And my fu fundamental pledge to you is not to minister to you, although I might, but rather to turn you into a minister. And if you like that, stick around. Big question everybody asks, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Go ahead. I'm glad you asked. Um, uh, first of all, avoid those, uh, those silly spiritual gift inventory tests where you take a written exam and it tells you what supernatural gifts you have. Don't do that. Those gifts are good for some things. They, they help you figure out what you're interested in or what you're passionate about or what you feel secure about, maybe. Uh, but that's not necessarily the best way. Gifts are best measured by results. If you have the gift of healing, sick people will tend to get better around you. <gasps> Who knew? You will know a tree by its fruit. So you have to activate or try things somehow. I would say uh, a few different things in particular. My best advice for discovering what your spiritual gifts are. Ready? Good. Write these down. It'll be good. Number one, get in a small group of some sort. A small group where people try to take care of each other because... Uh, you know, according to their design, gifts are supposed to be used in concert with other people. So find a group. We have Ohana groups at the church. All these different groups that meet all over the island during the week in homes or offices or sometimes the church office. We get together. We just live together. We get to know each other. We pray for each other and we minister to each other and we minister together. And you discover what you've got. You discover what you're good at. And people can call it out of you and encourage you along. You need a group. 
So get in a, a group. It's hard to teach unless you have students around you. It's hard, it's hard to see the gift of compassion unless you have hurting people around you. And most people avoid hurting people if they can. Get a group, a group you're committed to. You'll be hard to avoid anybody. Uh, you can't lead people unless you take responsibility for others. You need that group. Anyway. Number two, start serving somehow. Do, do something that looks a little bit like ministry. You know, you don't have to lead a Bible study. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't necessarily have to do cakey ministry. Uh, you don't have to play music. You don't have to do logistics on Sunday morning. You don't have to, you know, arrange the tabernacle or tear it. You don't have to do anything, but do something. And then as you do it, you will begin to discover what tools uh, you have. Um, Love is the key to using gifts well, as we will see uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. It, so service is a big key to activating the gifts that you have. You have to serve other people uh, lovingly. I want to be gifted is a different statement than I want to serve people. What gifts do I have? So serve people. Then you will discover what gifts uh, you have to bring to bear. Gifts don't necessarily determine what ministry you do in life. They just determine how you go about doing it. Uh, I learned this with healing ministry. I'm actually, I don't think, a tremendously gifted healer, uh, but I was bothered years ago that there was no supernatural healing ministry going on in the churches that I was around. So I decided that I would do it, which tells you a lot about me. I'm no good at it, but somebody's got to do it. What I am good at is teaching and prophecy. So I would call these healing services, rather, you know, presumptive of me. Yes, we're going to heal a lot of people tonight. I suck at healing. But I teach. So I'm going to give you a 10-minute teaching on healing and faith. And when I teach, people get things. And when they get things, their faith goes up. And where faith goes up, miracles are easier to pull off. So I leverage my teaching gift for healing ministry. And I'm pretty good prophetically. So what I can do over a crowd is that I can be like, Okay, you, you have, you have a, a heart condition, high blood pressure, would you stand up please? And if I get that right, that word of knowledge, what happens? Faith goes up, and where faith goes up, my job gets easier. So I leverage what gifts I had to pull off the mission that I was on. Eventually, I held auditions. Uh, Sony and I were leading a small group, an Ohana group at our house, and so what we would do is that every week we would invite a bunch of sick people over to our house, and then I would invite all the young people of the church to come and audition. And I would put a sick person in the middle, and then I would grab one of the young people, and I would say, heal them. <laughs> How do I heal them? Put, put the hand on and just, just say, be healed. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Next. It's a little more sophisticated and kind-hearted than that, but... That was essentially what I, what I would do. And there was this kid, uh, Josh, who was new to supernatural ministry. And he kept healing people. And I said, Josh, you are now traveling with me. And we became a duo. I would take him uh, where I went. We'd fly around the country sometimes. And I'd do a healing services or a healing seminar or a healing conference for Pete's sake. Not bad for a guy who's not really gifted at it. And I would teach and I would do some prophecies. And I would say, who wants to be healed? Get in the middle. Josh, Go. And he would heal a few people. Everybody's faith would get up, and then I'd sort of jump in. And I'd be like, yeah, I can do this. I'm easy. Uh, which is, uh, you know, another, it's a great example of 
of the body working together, learning to exploit your brothers and sisters, uh, which is part of it. Which leads to tip number three, I guess it is, try gifts on for size. You may well be gifted at healing, but how would you know if you've never tried it? You may well be gifted at prophecy, but how would you know if somebody doesn't stand you in front of 600 Anglican priests and make you prophesy for an hour? You know, you never know. Maybe it's not that way, but you have to try it, right? Um, I never played a lick of music my entire life. And then in college, uh, I kind of took a shine to this young woman named Sonia, who was a music major and a tremendous vocalist. And all of her friends could play music. So I borrowed a guitar and I started to play. And it turned out I, I was quite good at it. And then one day she taught me a few chords on the piano. And it turned out I was really good at that, at which point she got really mad at me because she could not play. You know, Sonia's only been playing the keyboard for like three or four years. Before she just, she had a mental block. She couldn't do it. So I became her accompanist. I was the guy in the back playing all the instruments and stuff while she sang and dazzled the crowds. And then I married her. <laughs> I may be skipping a step. Or, or the story about, you know, Steve making me prophesy. You don't know if you don't try. It's another great reason to be in a small group. Anyway, there are more in the coming chapters about how this all works together. Uh, but for now, you have spiritual gifts. We need to discover what they are, and you need to work at them. And we will honor them no matter what they are and try to shape them into the fabric, a coherent and unified and very gracious, loving church. That's the model that Paul presents. And if we pull it off, it's just amazing to be in a group in which people are using their gifts enthusiastically together. You know what that word enthusiastic means, literally? Enthused, entheos, in God. It means to do things with God in you. That's what enthusiasm means, just to kind of get excited because God is in you. Uh, but when a group uses all their gifts enthusiastically, it is just awesome to behold. Um, life happens. People just get saved and restored. And you don't even have to script it because the Holy Spirit has already scripted it. That's the cool thing. You know, you would expect that if the Holy Spirit is in charge, right? We're not, we're not playing around with this. The Holy Spirit is in charge. He has distributed the gifts as he determines. And so often I say to myself when I think about the assembly uh, of Blue Water, you know, where is this gift? Where is that gift? Where is the gift of helps when I need it? We'll define some of these in future weeks. The gift of help is, you know that person that no matter what's going on, they just happen to have exactly what you need? You know, the piece of knowledge or, you know, oh my gosh, my, my radiator is leaking. Well, I have this duct tape. Or, you know, they just, they're just they can always do it. That's a great person to have around. It's like this supernatural ministry. I always long for that person. And because it's not a gift that's talked about a lot, a lot of you have it, but you don't even know. Or, you know, the, the artistic gifts. I'm saying to myself a lot recently, what about, what about the songwriters? We need more of that, don't we? Are there not enough inspirational things happening around here that we should just be erupting in songs of praise and thanksgiving and artistic representations that just transform this into the most creatively beautiful tabernacle in the world? Should that not be happening? No guilt, but where are they? You know, 
Um, I know they're out there. And we need to figure out how to get that going uh, and how to, how to honor it. You know, we need more gifted healers because there's never a shortage uh, of, of sick people. Um, we so desperately need folks who give themselves to a ministry of hospitality because there's a difference between being friendly and being hospitable. When people come through and they sort of supernaturally get welcomed. I mean, their soul gets welcomed. You know, and those of you who have the supernatural gift of hospitality can do that. You might not even know that it's a supernatural gift. But if you would just give yourself over to it, people would get saved and restored and, and they would stick and they'd be, oh, dear God, I have found my family. I have found my ohana. And it's because somebody was hospitable in the power of the Spirit. You know, and all those gifts must be honored. And I think that's why Paul just sort of lists them like that. You might not even know that was a gift, but we are missing it unless you use it. Amen? You with me? More on all that later. But uh, I always feel that there's a more awesome church looking around out there if we would just use uh, what God gave us. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, for revelation this morning of the gifts that are in each and every one of us. Uh, I pray, as Paul said to the Romans, that when we identify the gift, that we would have the faith to use it, that we would use it according to faith, through the faith that we have, taking risks, leaps of faith. I bless you, brothers and sisters, in your giftedness, and I'll just declare prophetically in Jesus' name that what the Lord has given you to use we will find a way to honor it. It shall be done, and lives will be saved. Messages will go out, and the world will be changed. The Holy Spirit, even now, stir up the gifts. Shine light on things that, that uh, we didn't even recognize as from you. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>